I want to start this message with just a correction. Uh, maybe you'd call it editorial correction. A few weeks ago, the last time I spoke was two weeks ago. We were gone last week, sending our daughter to, off to college and getting her set up. Two weeks ago, I, I came back from another trip where I made arrangements for my mother, who recently passed away, and told a story about my hometown. My dad was getting over COVID, so I didn't stay in the house with him. Looking at hotel prices in Beaufort, South Carolina in July or, or in August are pretty high, and I thought, well, let me just get, save some money and get an Airbnb. And as you may recall, I uh, rolled up to that address, which they don't give you the address ahead of time. I rolled up to that address, and it was the house of uh, an ex-girlfriend from high school. <laughs> and we had a really good laugh. But you know what I failed to say two weeks ago is that girl doesn't live there any longer. <laughs> like, I just fear, like, some of you have been praying, like, Lord, touch our pastor and his wife because I know things have got to be tense. <laughs> she, she, they moved out like 20 years ago. So this is not a Hallmark movie, right, where I go back to my hometown and run into the old girlfriend. This is not a Hallmark movie. does not live there. So thank you for your prayer, though. Today is a day that I call All In Sunday. It's a day that we're going to receive members at the end of this service. Um, at Radiant, we just renamed our membership class to All In. Uh, these people are saying, hey, we've been here a while, whether it's been uh, some of them a year and a half, two years, some of them a matter of months. We've been here a while, and we've decided that we want to be all in here at Radiant. We want to be all in with the church and, and with Christ and his kingdom and the mission he has for us to shine light and, and for the gospel to go out. But we want to do that all in here in this local congregation. And who wouldn't want to be all in when you consider the picture of the church that the Bible paints? Let me read you a couple of passages, a couple of verses that talks about the beautiful picture of the church. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function... So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. Then the author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So you have Paul and Romans, you have the author of Hebrews then you have Jesus himself, John chapter 13, John being the author, Jesus being quoted. A new command I give to you, love one another, this is speaking to his disciples, as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we, as his disciples today, love one another. These are, these are great verses that paint a picture of what could be and what should be about the church. So who wouldn't want to be all in? The problem with some of these verses is sometimes these verses set up people who hear it with an expectation of what church is supposed to be. And sometimes it's a setup for disappointment. Sometimes it creates expectations that do not line up with our reality, which leaves us disillusioned and disappointed in church. That's why you've heard people say, I love Jesus, I just don't know that I like the church. And i got to be honest with you, I empathize with those people, because those people are probably genuinely hurt. They probably have genuine wounds. I think all of us probably, if we've been in church a while, have some of that. But I fear that perhaps some of those real hurts and wounds may come because our expectations may have been just a little bit off, perhaps a little too idealistic, perhaps misplaced. 
The truth of the matter is, the church is messy, right? If you've been in it a while, no amens for that. Church is messy. I mean, so one of my favorite sermon series since I became your pastor was when we were online only last summer before we came back to in person. You remember that sermon series? I said, hey, I know we've been out of church for two and a half months. We haven't seen each other. We're going to be super excited to be back in the building. But let me warn you, church is messy. We called it Ecclesia, which is, uh, you know, the church. But every single message was like, yeah, we're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to look at each other cross-eyed, and your breath's going to stink. And we're not going to get along in church. So while we're excited to get back into church, just have real expectations that we are people coming back into this building I kind of view church the way I view marriages. Like, people say that marriages have problems. I'm like, no. I, when, I do, when I do premarital counseling, I'm like, marriages don't have problems. People have problems, and they get married. Same thing with the church. We bring our baggage and our stuff to the church. So while we like to picture the Bible as, paint, as painting of the church, many of us know all too well and perhaps painfully and disappointingly that it's not as we had hoped. Belonging to one another, motivating one another, loving one another. All of these seem way easier said than done. So why be all in? Why set ourselves up for the pain that comes with the mess? Wouldn't it just be easier to slip in to church, you worship by yourself in that corner? Not, I'm not putting on anyone in corners. I'm just saying my mother-in-law's in the corner, so, you know, I'm just picking on her. Um, wouldn't it just be easier to slip in and slip out, not have to get in to relationships, that's where the pain happens. Sunday morning, I could slip and slip out, worship Jesus, and go home. Wouldn't it just be easier to do that? Why be all in into a community that is prone to messes? We're going to look at that today and kind of set expectations right on what the church looks like. Perhaps one of my favorite things to talk about, we did it last summer, we're doing it now. It's a weird thing to preach when you're saying, welcome members, this is going to get messy. But that's the kind of pastor I am, kind of twisted. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I want to say well, uh, thank you for being here. This message is kind of geared to the Christians. It's about being all in. It's about being in community together, whether, you got, whether or not you hold a membership or not. But it's, it's about the church. So you can sit back and relax and kind of listen in. And I encourage you to do so because as I speak to the Christians in the room, Perhaps you'll hear something, maybe some, some, some reservations you have about the church, perhaps some objections you have about being involved in the church. Maybe, maybe those things get answered. Maybe you get some clarity. Either way, I'm glad you're here. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. As you turn, let me give you a little background. Historically, uh, Colossians was, was written uh, by the Apostle Paul, not historically, I'll just give you a historical background. Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he wanted to combat false teaching in the church that devalued Christ's work. He wanted believers to know their true standing in Christ, that, that we are being transformed into Christ's image and the implications of that transformed life. So Colossians 2, 2 verse 20, um, may, many of you know this verse. It's one of the verses we learned as children. Maybe you sang a song uh, set to it. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that the old self, uh, I, I'm dead to that. It's, it's, it's not who, no longer who I am. I have a new life in Christ. That's Colossians chapter 20. That's the, the chapter right before we're, what we're about to read. 
And we read about the freedom from the rules and, and, and this new life in Christ. But then we get to Colossians chapter 3, kind of building off that idea of a new life in Christ. Let me read you, we're, we're going to start in verse 10 when we actually read officially. But I want to read you just setting up this passage, the first three verses of chapter 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, remember this is connecting with what we saw is in chapter 2. Set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden in Christ. So now he fleshes out what that means. And in the next few verses, it's a little bit similar to Ephesians chapter 4, when he says, throw off your old sinful nature, put on your new nature. Verses 5 through 9 of chapter 3, he's saying, put to death the old self, your sinful actions and your attitudes. And then, and then we get to verse 10 and 17. Let's read Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself in tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and, f- and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, so Paul talks about we, have, we, have, we, we no longer are living that old life. We have a new life that's in Christ. And then he fleshes out what that new life looks like. But he does so in the context of what? The, the church you all are the body, and here's what it looks like as you interact with one another. This is the transformation that takes place, and he applies it to a church. He, this is the, the letter to the church in Corinth. It's not a letter to Bob. Bob the Corinthian. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a corporate letter. And here's what that new life looks like. Forgiving one another. We'll, we'll, let's, we'll dive into it. I'm getting ahead of my notes. We'll start in verse, in, in verse 3, chapter 10. What we see here is that there's a new self that's being renewed into the image of God. That Jesus, uh, Jesus says, love one another, but he doesn't just say, okay, here's the new commandment, love one another the best you can. He gives us new life, and he transforms us so that we can love one another in a way that we don't have necessarily the ability to do naturally. Because loving one another is not easy, Right? So it's through Christ and his life in us that we can love one another, that there's a, 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 a new person, a renewing that's taking place. And then we see these church relationships where that, that's fleshed out. Verses 11 through 17, the rest of the passage we read. Look at verse 11. Let me read it to you again. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Let's look at the first half of that. According to Paul, relationships in the church are not based on your earthly distinctions. He identifies a couple of different groups there, right? 
There was ethnic distinction. There's Gentile and Jew. There's a religious distinction between circumcised and uncircumcised. There's cultural, barbarian, and uncivilized. Your Bible says another word, probably Scythian, but that's a nomadic warrior from, like, Siberia. Fun Bible knowledge. Uh, But both groups are considered uncivilized. He's not comparing here. He's just saying... He's just giving examples. And then he gives economic, you know, you could be slave or free. doesn't matter. Slave or free, Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian or barbarian. It doesn't matter. It's not, you're not tied to your distinction within the church and our relationships with one another. That's the old way of thinking of ourselves. That's the old life. That's how we came into the church, but that's not how we continue to think of ourselves. The new self thinks differently. And differently is the remainder of this passage. Look at verse 11, the last half of it. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. No longer divided by ethnicity, religious background, culture, economics, because Christ is all that matters. Christ being the main thing for the Christian, therefore relationships within the church are centered on Christ. Let me say that again. Relationships within the church are centered on Christ more than any other factor. Christ is the most important factor in the community of faith. Community within the church, relationships within the church, are are shaped by who we are in Christ, who we are becoming in Christ, and why we exist for Christ. See, community happens amongst believers as they focus on Christ which is very different than how we think relationships and community happens. We kind of think that community happens when there's like relational chemistry. There's similarities that exist between people. So we find groups that are like us. And that, that's, that's natural. That's human. There's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But that's not the foundation of why we exist together as a church. It's not because we have all these things in common. We have Christ in common. There's a lot of things we don't have in common. There's a focus here on relational factors, or no, excuse me, when there is a focus on relational factors that bring a sense of community, it fails to bring the community that Christ intends for his church. So if we build a church based on our similarities, on our preferences, on our chemistry, we end up not building a church that Christ wants to build. Relationships in the faith community are God's idea, and they are hugely important. I'm convinced God uses those relationships, even the messy ones, perhaps especially the messy ones, to form us, to make us holy more than to make us happy. Did he just go, I love when my wife's on the front row, and she's like, whew, that's good, I'm going to write that down. You know, I think God gives us marriage to make us holy more than happy as well, but that's another sermon altogether. Relationships are big, but they can't be the, 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 the center of our community. It needs to be Christ. Let me, let me read you a quote. True community is never found by looking for it. It can only be found by pursuing Christ. So here's my big idea today in, we're on this all-in Sunday when we, when we welcome new members is this, and you've heard me say this before or something similar to it before, and you'll hear me say it again because I believe, I, I believe strongly 
that we need to continually bring our, bring our expectations in line. But we, the church, we are family, not because we chose each other, but because God chose us and placed us together. See, when, when, a, when a church gathers around the relationships that, that, and, and focuses on that, quite honestly, it kind of invites drama and, and off, an offense. And you've heard me talk about being a youth pastor and going on a missions trip and, and everyone's working together and they're all great and they're not worried about, you know, their relationship with everybody else. They're just worried about getting the job done. It's a beautiful thing. And then we get on the bus to ride home and within like two seconds, they're like, so-and-so touched me or something. You know, that's my kids in the back seat. Never mind. They're, they're, so-and-so touched me. It's not a youth ministry thing. So-and-so looked cross-eyed at me. And it becomes about us. And it becomes all of a sudden about relationship. And then what happens is there's a very inward focus in a group. Because we could be in the middle of a group that's inward focused and feel all the love. But everybody else outside the group, it's really hard to find. Like, we feel like we're crashing someone's family reunion. You ever do that? I've only done it a couple times. The food was great, but it was awkward. I never cast anyone's family reunion. But if church feels like you're crashing someone's family reunion, that's a tough place to be. Like, we love one another, which is great if you're inside, but everybody else feels like an outsider. Now, we can still love one another and welcome outsiders, but if we're not careful, we fail to. Especially if they disrupt our chemistry that we got going based on our relational factors and similarities and likes. The thing about relationships being the center uh, and the focus of a community, whether it's a church or a country club or a gang, is you don't actually need Christ. You just need chemistry. On the other hand, Christ-centered community is like an adopted family. We are family not because we chose each other, but because Christ chose us and brought us together. Is that not the picture of an adopted family? And I believe well, let me read you a quote that talks about relationships centered, and then I'll read you something that talks about Christ-centered. Relationships are deeper and richer when our ultimate confidence is in Christ and not one another. When you live as if other people can meet all your needs, you'll be regularly disappointed. And may I add, regularly disappointed in the church. You're asking them to do something no person can ever do, give you the happiness you so desperately want. But when Christ is your confidence, someone is freed to be your friend, not the God you rely on to meet all of your needs. Wow. So that's, your, that's the problem with that relational focus, when we overdo that and not focus on Christ. Let me read you something about Christ's focus. Oh, it comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Being your new self, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And guess where that comes from? Your new life in Christ, the transforming that's taking place in your life. That's verse 12 of our text. Verse 13 to 15, not only is there being our new self, but there's what the new self does. It's the doing of the new self. It's the stuff the new self does. Look at, look at verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. And if you have forgiving down before you met Jesus, then you're like one in a billion. If you have forgiving down even after you meet Jesus, then you're still one in a million. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Why? 
because we are called to live in peace. That's a beautiful picture. It really is a beautiful picture. Would you say amen? That's a beautiful picture. Forgiving, making allowance, clothing yourself in love. But here's the thing about that picture. That picture requires mess. Because you don't have to forgive somebody unless there's something to forgive. You don't have to show some grace to you don't have to show grace to anyone unless there's some offense. Love could only be a choice if there's an opportunity not to choose it. But choose revenge, hate, neglect, etc. But you're choosing to love in your new life, Christ through you. He calls us to live in peace, but peace is not an option without the potential for conflict. I mentioned earlier the, the Ecclesia series, our last series before we came back together in person last summer. You remember the big points from that? The ugly side of church is the opportunity for your growth and God's glory. Opportunity for your growth because it's an opportunity for you to love when it's difficult to love. It's an opportunity for you to love those who are unlovely or don't receive love. It's also an opportunity for God's glory because God now brings about supernatural community and not our own chemistry creating community. It's God's community. That, that brings glory to God when things get messy and he can still keep us united in purpose, centered on Christ. We are family not because we chose each other, but because God chose us and placed us together. Now, if you're tentative about this whole idea of being all in and being part of the community, whether, that, whether you define all in as membership as I'm doing here in a few moments or just being all in and doing more than slipping in and slipping out. Let me, let me challenge you with a couple of things to take away from this message. Because there's moments where all of us, even if we hold membership, would be like, I don't know that I wanna, really want to be all in anymore. When you find yourself disappointed or maybe disillusioned, pray for your church. Churches fall short. No church is perfect. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. And Radiant will fall short. And Radiant is not perfect. I mean, look at this pastor. That's a joke, guys. Come on. I mean, like. <laughs> May we pray that our church is so filled with Christ's love that it would overflow into relationships within the church where love and grace and forgiveness take place. I, I kind of feel like sometimes we, we get into church excited about Jesus and then we start to distance ourselves and hold it arm's length away. Pray for your church. If you currently feel, maybe you put that thing far, you feel, you feel lonely. And I've got to be honest, the people who are, who are going to be up here in a moment to receive, that we're receiving as members, they're, they're taking a step of faith. They're taking a step of trust. Like they don't know many of your names or and they may never actually get to know some of your names, but they're saying, hey, I'm all in in this community. But right now, they, they're just saying, I'm in. I, I, I'm going to commit to you, but I'm not so sure you're going to commit to me, but we are. Don't worry. But if you, currently, if you feel alone, if you've been here a long time or not, there's seasons, right? Let me encourage you to find your comfort in Christ. Jesus understands loneliness. 
He was deserted by his closest friends. He hung alone on a cross. He bared the sin and the, or the shame of the sins that he never committed. Jesus knows what it's like to be ignored and abandoned and overlooked. See, humans, fallen humans, are absolutely disappointing. Only Jesus is perfectly fulfilling. So let your season, if that's the season you're in, of loneliness point to his sufficiency. The third thing I would say is take a hard look in the mirror. Because maybe your expectations have been a little off. Maybe, maybe there's some unrealistic things that you're holding people to. Could it be that your patterns and your behaviors are the obstacle to the community that you desire? Maybe your priorities of where you spend all your time don't give any time for the community, but you expect community. Maybe it's your, 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 your work schedule, your hobbies, your activities, your kids' sports. I love my kids' sports. But it's, let's just be honest, it's sometimes like the God of this world now. Perhaps you've kept other people at arm's length, refusing to let them to, to know you because you, you have some pain and some hurt and you want to just protect yourself. Perhaps your expectations are so unrealistic that you don't recognize or embrace the community that you actually really do have. I mean, I, I did youth ministry for a very long time. I can't tell you how many students were right in the mix of the life of our youth ministry and say, I'm an outsider. I have no friends. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because sometimes a sense, sense of belonging actually resides with me. Like I could be part of this church and it's hard. I'm, I'm a pastor, so it's a weird way to do this. But like somebody who comes to this church constantly, who's like, this is my church. I'm part of Radiant. And you don't know them. And you're like, hey, welcome. I hope you start coming back more often. You're like, what are you talking about? This is my church. You just told me I'm not, this is not my church. I mean, like there's a sense that it's, belonging starts with that individual Actually, you know, let, me, let me give you an illustration. You've seen this before, at least on a piece of paper. Um, but I love this illustration. I think with the new people that come through, it's worth doing again. Um, Hawk, you want to help me with this? We're going to put it right here. No, you know what? We're going to put it right here. I was accused the other day that I always come to this side when I speak because my wife's here. And so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to break the trend. I'm coming to this side. No, just put it up. And bring me that, bring, give me that stuff. So we got uh, three buckets, and here's, a, here's how I think about belonging, whether it's in the church, whether it's in another group. We're going to call this the public bucket. We're going to call this the personal bucket. And you're thinking like, you're thinking like Goldilocks, aren't you? It's not. It's not Papa Bear, Mama Bear, and Baby Bear. This is the public bucket. This is your, this is your social neighbor bucket, right? So... This has a far greater capacity. And I think if you're going to feel like, this is, I'm trying to set expectations here. Because some people think, man, I will belong in, in the church when I know everyone's name. And I, could, and I have a bunch of, uh, I know these are not people. I actually looked for little green army men. But they're expensive. So I'm using softballs. 
It's important to have like, let me say this carefully, not shallow. It's important to have relationships with people that are not necessarily like acquaintances. I can't tell you how many people who have like deep personal friends in the church who will say, I don't know anybody in this church. If this bucket is empty and this bucket is empty, but their closest friends are in the church. And they're like, I don't belong here. I know plenty of people who know a little bit about everybody, but don't have any friends or any neighbors. This is kind of like, you, you got to move kind of this direction. This is your social space. These are the teams you serve on. These are the groups that you're part of. And if you could, that's a really dirty ball. If you could, if you can kind of keep a balance of these things, like it's impossible to know everybody in this level, but you got to know somebody. But you don't get to know people like this unless you know people like this. Serve on a team, be in a group. And it's really important you do this. Listen, let me use high school football as an illustration because it's football season. When I go to the Westville High School football game, we've got a team on the field wearing green. We've got cheerleaders wearing green. We have fans wearing green. This is, the tr- this is us right now. We are all facing the same direction. We're all cheering on the mission and the purpose of why we're here to worship the Lord, to seek his kingdom advance. And so it's important. All those people don't know each other necessarily. They don't know everyone's name, but they know that we're on the same team, that we have the same purpose. That's hugely important. It's hugely important for you to know people that you don't know much about them other than you're on the same side. Here's where you get to know people. The other things we do as a church to connect people. Because Christ is the center, not because connection is the center. This is like the football team. They're the ones who know each other a little bit better, a little deeper. Because they spend more time with each other because they're on the team together. Or they, they're in a group together. And then you have these personal friends. A lot of times they're just people that, I, that I've spent time with and over time and trust, we become close. And to be honest with you, this is kind of church uh, organized and this is kind of church not in church. What you do with your friends on your own time, do it. That's your friendship. Be careful. If you have like, it's very easy to say, well, there's people that have cliques. I call them friendship groups. And so you have friends and have a group of friends. Be careful about being a, a click hunter. And the final thing I would say is this. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to consider, I'd, ask you, I'd encourage you to consider being all in. The next, the next membership class, whether you've been here a long time or whether you're new, there's actually a, an event for new people called Explore Radiant that happens, it won't happen until January. And then after that, we'll have another all in class. But I want to address why, why would I be all in? Why membership? We've talked about community and expectations and belonging, but why membership? Let me give you a couple of reasons. When you join the church, you make a visible commitment to Christ and his people, and in this case, to the people of Radiant. I kind of view it, to be honest with you, I kind of view it similar to baptism. It's my public profession of faith. Here's my public profession of commitment. I kind of view it as marriage, a wedding ceremony, that I am here for you, and you're here for me, and we're going to do this together. Secondly, I would say make a commitment. Making a commitment makes a powerful statement in a low commitment culture. 
know, there are certain like clubs or recreation softball teams that require more commitment than church does sometimes. That's a problem. That's, that's our church kind of bowing down to our culture. <laughs> Let's make it as easy as possible. No commitment. We live in a consumer culture that is tailored to meet every need and, and, and preference and wants to satisfy. And the moment that that product does not deliver, it's so easy just to walk away. Listen, I understand sometimes church transitions happen. Sometimes you have to find a new home. But it should be gut-wrenching and difficult. It shouldn't be like how I changed from Pepsi to Coke. Oh, actually, that's probably more commitment. I mean, it shouldn't be how I changed from one product to another. I, I think church membership is absolutely countercultural. Saying I'm committed to this group of people and they're committed to me. I'm here to give more than I'm to get. Another reason is that we live in a culture that's super, super independent. The sense of independence that we have as Americans is probably one of the, our biggest strengths and weaknesses. But by doing it, you're saying, I'm part of something bigger than myself. I'm not just one of 200 individuals, but I'm part of a body. Church membership keeps us accountable. See, when we join a church, we are, we are saying, we're offering ourselves to one another, saying, you know what, I'm here to receive and to give, whether it's encouragement, being challenged, being corrected or served. It lets the pastors and the, and the leaders, the elders, and one another know that I'm, I'm going to receive this. But if you're just a guest and I get in your face about your life, or not, not to get in your face is the right way to do it, but if I say some difficult things to people who are not committed, they'll be like, I don't have to take this. But if you know that I'm doing it in love because we're, we're all in together, there's opportunity for growth. Joining a church will help, like I said, kind of reference this earlier, pastors and leaders to be more faithful shepherds. I, let me give you an example. Risa is uh, our hospitality coordinator. She calls people that haven't been to church in a while. But it's really hard to call people who haven't, like, it, well, it, it's really hard to call people when you don't know if they were really even really here. You know, I know if you've been here a long time, we know if you're here or not. But people that have, like, I was going to slip in and slip out. And you're like, hey, we missed you a lot. That's not my church. <laughs> it's impossible for elders and, and the pastor to shepherd a flock when they don't know who out there considers them their shepherd. And then joining church gives you an opportunity to make commitments, to make a promise. See, if you don't join the church, you don't make these promises, and these promises end up being beneficial spiritually to you and to the church. Let me talk about those promises. I'm about to introduce our, uh, our new members, but I want you to know what, what they have said and signed off on and said, these are the promises we're going to make. These are the commitments we're making to the people of Radiant, to the church, the people, not the organization, the pastor and the staff, to the people of Radiant. They said, we commit to you, the church, that we will use our gifts and talents in ministry. And we talked about gifts and talents. We have this cool book. It's really, really slick. We com they're committing to you, Radiant, faithful stewardship and giving to our congregation and, and what God is doing through us. They're committing that they will honor God uh, through submitting to leadership and to one another. And they're committing that they will love one another. Let me, let me read you the members 
really quick. And I'm gonna, as I read, could you guys come up and just stand across the front? I, I want you, I, there, we have seven families joining today. So we have 14 couples. Yeah, 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 go ahead. We have, we have seven families, which is uh, 14 individuals. And get this, out of 14 individuals, there are 17 children that come along with those seven families. Uh, yeah. Now would be a great time to roll out that building plan for the kids' wing because I'm not sure how we're going to get all those kids upstairs. Just kidding, just kidding. But 14 new members, that's, an over, that's over a 10% increase in our church membership. So I just want you to, that's pretty amazing. Uh, let me read some names and they'll come up forward and we'll have an opportunity to greet them. Dustin and Jackie Campins. Pat and Sherry Carter. Just along the front would be fine. You don't have to come on the stage unless you really want to. Uh, Pat and Sherry here. Matthew and Kendra Gardner. Jeremiah and Rachel Goddard. I know Rachel's at work. Brad and Heather Kirchival. Chris and Carly Rickett. And Sean and Jessica Weiler. If I could maybe let you compress. Uh, could I get maybe some elders and a prayer team? We'll come up and just pray with these guys. Would you, would you join us, prayer team and elders? I don't think we have enough elders to lay hands on everybody, but we're going to do this. And church, let me tell you, I hope I didn't put words in your mouth, but during our all-in class, you know what? These guys said, yeah, we're going to commit we're all in at Radiant, but you know what I said? I said, not only are you making commitments, but we make commitments to you. So here's what I said about you. I said, we, Radiant, will commit to you unconditional love and acceptance, support in time of need, and we commit to be dedicated to your growth as followers of Jesus. If you would say, yeah, Jerome, we are committed to that, would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for what you are doing here at Radiant, Lord. We thank you that you indeed chose us and brought us together. This beautiful, perhaps sometimes messy thing called church. May we be a, a, a community centered on Christ, centered on the good news and the purpose why we exist to shine light, for the gospel message to go out from this place, to bring healing to our land. Lord, Father, I pray that these members, as they take a step of faith into a community, trusting that they will be embraced, Lord, that, that you would bless their steps as they, as they find places of service on teams or places of community on groups. God, that there would be a joy that comes from their time here at Radiant, that their children, would, that there would be a foundation of faith laid in their lives of their children, that we would partner with them as they, as they raise their children to know follow you. God, we thank you. What an what, what amazing sight to see what you're doing here at Radiant. Would you continue to guide and direct us as a church?